0: A listener Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Join us each week as we break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now and what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr Keith Suter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Tannock. I'm a journalist. And, Keith, today we're looking at how emerging technology is challenging traditional espionage.
1: Yeah, so this is a report that I've got from the Sufain Centre, uh, which is an independent think tank uh, based in New York. They produce a daily newsletter. So if people are really interested in what's going on with this new warfare era then I recommend Soufain, so that's S-O-U-F-A-N. And the, the article that we're looking at is what, the, as you say, it's the implications of um, technology for the business of spying. So in the article, they, they make a distinction between human intelligence, which is humint, and then uh, sigint, which is signals intelligence. So with uh, humint, it's the, an ordinary person spying on somebody else and this is the, the matter of concern with Sir Fain. they obviously take the view that you've still got to have this human intelligence. So think of James Bond. When you think of Mint, think <laughs> of James Bond. And the reason got I it. suggest that is that James Bond was created by Ian Fleming, who worked in intelligence during the war. Uh, he was in the, uh, well, when I worked and it, it was called the old Admiralty Building. So he was involved with intelligence during the war for the Admiralty and also in New York, and led a very colourful life. I've got to say, from for Ian Fleming's point of view, the war was the best thing that happened to him. He was a bit of a ne'er-do-well before then, a spoilt rich kid, quite directionless in what, in what he was doing with his life. Then the war comes along, gets caught up in all this espionage. He comes from a well-known family, so was able to use his contacts and land this very good job within intelligence, uh, within Britain. And so we see him very much in this human intelligence area. But he was also witnessing the rise of a completely separate form of intelligence, which is called SIGINT. So you've got HUMINT, which is human intelligence, and you've got SIGINT, which is signals intelligence. And the big breakthrough was occurring just outside London at a place called Bletchley Park. So um, just prior to the war, a brave uh, Polish individual Took to the UK a coding machine, and the Germans during the war sent messages in codes to each other, and they did so in the belief that the British would not be able to decode what was going on, or if they did, they would boast about it. Uh, Stanley Baldwin, a British Prime Minister in the 1930s, had boasted about being able to break codes. So the Germans figured, oh well, if if the British ever do get round to breaking our code, the Enigma machine, then don't worry, we'll get to hear about it pretty quickly. But in fact. The Bletchley Park work, which is now the subject of Hollywood movies, et cetera, the Bletchley Park work was absolutely amazing, one of the great contributions. One of my uh, university lecturers in 1972 said, we're now in the process of beginning to rewrite the history of of World War II. So Group Captain F.W. Winterbottom uh, published his memoir of what was going on at Bletchley, Bletchley Park, and the Enigma machine, etc., and broke the agreement that we all had to sign, called the Official Secrets Act. And in effect, what he said, Group Captain Winterbottom to the British government is, "Well, I'm publishing this memoir. It's a great story, and I dare you to put me in jail." The war ended almost 30 years ago, so we know the outcome of the war. <laughs> the Germans that we were fighting are all dead. So that was Group Captain FW. Winterbottom's book, and then after that you get a whole stream of them, including from Peter carver who had taught me uh, modern history. So that signals intelligence, becomes now the glamorous end of intelligence. So we think of the National Security Agency and all the, the CIA monitoring all the radio traffic. So your, whatever you are doing with your mobile phone, CIA or NSA can monitor what you're doing. Um, the advice that I give to people, if you have a computer at home, put masking tape over the lens because it's possible to turn on your computer and look at you as you're walking around your home in your underwear it's
0: through that lens. Thought, I mean, you it... don't
1: know that it's turned on, but it is turned on. Right. So that's all this signals intelligence, a whole incredible world which has opened up. And yet you've got Ian Fleming, who had lived through World War II and was a, still a great believer in human intelligence. And so Fleming took the view that we've got to maintain human intelligence. And so, one of the, I think, one of the motives for writing the James Bond novels was simply as a way of celebrating the work of intelligence agents. Even though James Bond is just a, you know, a thug really. It's, he's not a. You wouldn't mm-hmm. regard him as a role model. Uh, but nonetheless, it was a reminder, and it remains a reminder of the importance of human intelligence. Now, this Sufane Center article. Is talking about the risks that we run uh, nowadays of you know, my trying to get information from you, for example, you're you're betraying your government, and I'm collecting the information to get it back to my government. But if you know, it's possible to monitor how we connect with each other, etc. So we've got all sorts of new problems that are opening up simply because you can be monitored by your mobile phone. And they can then see that, you know, we are liaising from time to time, that I might be obtaining information from you to send back to my uh, home government.
0: And, in fact, the article does raise an interesting conundrum. How do you detect if you're being followed, in inverted commas, if no one's actually following you but you're very much still under surveillance exactly. with That's, all these different forms?
1: Yep. So in the old days you would have you been able There are things in tradecraft that you can do uh, to check on whether or not uh, you're being monitored, etc., and you know the way you can change your routes and see if a suspicious car is following you or whatever. That is now much more difficult because your mobile phone is giving you away, or or or, or if you're driving a car with a lot of electronic gadgetry inside it, you're vulnerable. By the way, to being hijacked and killed. You know, there's still a question mark over Michael Hastings, who died in. He was the investigative journalist who was driving a luxury Mercedes that suddenly accelerated exploded and hit a tree. So some of us are still very suspicious about whether or not he was subject to a carjacking. Um, FBI issued a statement very quickly saying, no, no, we're not not interested in Michael Hastings, but we we still haven't heard anything from CIA. So if you're driving a vehicle with lots of electronic components, your vehicle is talking to a lot of other uh, gadgets around and obviously revealing your location. And then if I'm suspicious, if it, let me just say, instead of being the diplomat who's getting the information from you, that instead my job is to track you down and, and see if you are revealing secrets of state, um, I can do that now without actually physically having to follow you around. In the old days, what I would have to have done or to keep an eye on your dead letter boxes, et cetera. Whereas now I can just follow it all. I can follow you on a screen. And, of course, you've got your facial recognition technology.
0: And all the biometric scanning in airports and even on city streets now. So does that make it almost impossible for an operative to conduct a covert operation these days, or is there always going to be a workaround?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you'd hope there's always going to be a workaround. It's interesting you mentioned the biometrics. I was in a conversation with somebody um, who, um, like me, travelled a lot behind the Iron Curtain. Uh, he was actually working for a Christian ministry outfit. And so he was smuggling books into the old Soviet Union, uh, a book of Bibles mainly, into the old Soviet Union. And we were just comparing notes about how easy it was to get in and out of the old Soviet Union. I remember one occasion I had to get a Canadian woman out, and she was um, so she was my wife for the night. I was a tour leader of, of students from British universities, so I had her for a wife for the night, Um, my job was to get her through Eastern Europe um, to West Germany and then hand her over to somebody who would then take her up to NATO headquarters. And what was interesting is that the guards on the trains that kept on checking our passports, etc., they were clearly bored stiff. They really were not enjoying their job. It was a cold December night. We could actually hear the wolves outside chasing the trains as we sped through the northern uh, forests uh, in Eastern Europe. And and so you know the woman got out safely. This is you know very different from today, as you say, with the biometric testing. You know, the the United States is much more of a police state today, or Australia is much more of a police state than the Soviet Union was.
0: They're gathering a lot of information, aren't they? You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Suter. I'm Sasha Tannock and, Keith, today we're talking about how emerging technology is challenging traditional espionage. Now, Keith, we've been talking about biometric scanners. How far from fudging that kind of information are we? I mean, we've seen in spy novels people fake fingerprints and put on latex fingerprints. Is that actually happening in I'm real sure life? that's
1: all part of the tradecraft, absolutely, yes. And you need to do that just to fall the other side. So we're really approaching a crisis in the intelligence sector because, obviously, for those of us who are old-fashioned, we remember, with nostalgia, the great days of human intelligence. Um, But at the same time, the young boffins in their white coats are saying, look, you guys are dinosaurs. The way we're going to do everything now is just purely through surveillance, tapping into messages, et cetera. You really don't need to have these human intelligence operations. So that, that is the basic issue that we've got, and that's what this uh, centre is warning us about, that it's just going to make life more and more difficult for us.
0: And, in fact, it talks about whether there will be a place for traditional tradecraft when it comes to humans or will it be about finding other ways, for example, to plant a listening device instead of actually sending in the operative to the the location?
1: And, of course, one you know, there was a marvellous movie made a few years ago um, about spy technology, and they actually had listening devices Um which were shaped like flies. And so the flies were buzzing around listening and observing to what was going on. It was a very good movie. And that's basically what we're heading towards. We'll be able to end up with specks of dust as listening devices. So um, perhaps instead of just trying to obtain documents illegal and then being smuggled out, which is, of course, traditionally what we have seen with a lot of the old Cold War activities perhaps we will be able to produce intelligent dust. We'll be able to monitor conversations. We already got intelligent flies by the looks of it. (laughs) So um, yes, that may well be the new era. And so technology is therefore shaping uh, the future of intelligence in the way that technology is, is obviously shaping our lives in so many other ways.
0: And when it comes to this biometric data that's being gathered, how valuable is that for a sale to another country or how vulnerable does it make a country in terms of having that information available?
1: I think data is a new oil. This is what, um, so, you know, people who are on social media, et cetera, uh, the warning I give is that if your information is free, you are the product. And so there is a general trend for people to scrape off the data and then find ways of harvesting it and then using it possibly against you the uh, people who do the scraping would say, no, we want to improve the targeting of our advertisements towards you, etc." So I think eventually we will end up with a society where, as you walk down the street, the um, displays on the, on the walls will, will know who you are and what you want to look at, and so they will change as you walk down compared with somebody
0: else like myself then walking down because they'll change again. It's incredible thought, isn't it? And when it comes to things like mobile phones um, and spies, I mean, There's the option of turning them off, but it's interesting to see that in the spy world, that in itself, it's called going dark, but that in itself raises suspicion. So it's not as simple as not being monitored.
1: Well, if you do try to turn off your phone, you never completely can turn it off. Probably you'll be better advised putting the mobile phone in somebody else's car, leaving it on, and then they drive off in one area and then you go off and have a completely separate meeting um, without your mobile phone. Because the mobile phone is a tracking device. So um, if you want to keep an eye on who may be spying in your country, then obviously you need to get access to those mobile phones.
0: And again, uh, in terms of information, social media is everywhere and most people have some kind of track of social media and, and to not have anything online would also raise suspicion. So I guess there's another workaround there where that profile perhaps has to be created rather than just being dark.
1: Well, that, well, you now you're going back into basic tradecraft, uh, which is, of course, creating a history. So you have to invent a history for people, which you can do, as we saw in the old Cold War days, but it's much more difficult uh, if you're trying to um, spy on Arab societies, as we have found in Iraq and Afghanistan, because when you send somebody in uh, as an outsider, they not only want to know who you are and who your parents were, but also your grandparents and your great-grandparents, et cetera. So it actually makes uh, infiltration much more difficult. So you're right. It's very difficult to create a history now for some people in some societies. And your social media presence will certainly give you away if you're pretending to be something else rather than who you're claiming to be.
0: Mm, it's quite a complex web. So do you think new technology helps rather than hinders by opening up new opportunities and ways to gather intelligence? Or is it really, as we've said challenging traditional espionage it's
1: it's challenging traditional espionage but also opening up still more of the signals intelligence side the amount the amount of spying we can do etc on people the facial recognition the social control all of this is certainly improving the signals intelligence side of it so i guess in the long sweep of history ian fleming has lost out (laughs) It's it's not the James Bonds that's going to save us. It's going to be the 15-year-old geeks with their brilliant new computers.
0: (laughs) Amazing. That was this week's episode of Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. Make sure you tune in next week when we'll break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now and what's likely to happen in the future. Listener.